Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zalmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Julianne Timrick about cognitive changes after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Midwest Functional Neurology Center, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They have greatly helped me and many others. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, creating awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. For those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project. And I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I recently released my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Today, my guest is Julianne Timrick, and she is a graduate of Michigan State University and has been practicing speech-language pathology since 2014. She has worked in skilled nursing facilities and in hospitals, both acute care and inpatient rehabilitation. Her true passion is working with individuals with brain injury, and she is grateful to work at Origami Brain Injury Rehabilitation Center where she is co-instructor of several of Origami's group therapies, which include Brain Injury Education Group, Memory Group, and Social Communication Group. She received her Vital STEM Swallowing Therapy Certification in 2017, and she enjoys her job because it allows her to help individuals improve their lives following brain injury. Origami Brain Injury Rehabilitation Center is a nonprofit organization located in Lansing, Michigan. Origami provides comprehensive rehabilitation care for survivors of brain injuries and their families. Through their compassionate and innovative service, Origami creates opportunities and transforms lives. So welcome to the podcast, Julianne. I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm really excited for this opportunity to chat with you this morning. Yeah, and your little thing in your bio that said you you enjoy your job because it allows you to help individuals improve their lives following a brain injury. I love that. So Yeah, and I know, think we, that's probably my favorite part of the job too. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, I mean, you know, maybe let's just have you share with us how you came to work in the brain injury community. What, you know, what's your story of how you got to be there? All right. So I think I'll start from the very beginning, kind of um, how I found the field of speech language pathology. Um, I grew up in the Detroit area, and when I went to Michigan State University to start my bachelor's, I originally planned to become a doctor. And I started the pre-med coursework there, and it just was not the right fit for me. So I got 
through my first semester and I said, I'm not sure what I want to do. I know I want to work in the field of healthcare, um, but I just didn't have a set path as far as where I was going. And it's a really funny story, but I was actually watching MTV one day in my dorm room and they had a documentary series back in the day called True Life. And the topic that afternoon was I have a stutter. And I was completely glued to my television because I just was so inspired to help people who were so impaired in their communication. They couldn't even order a pizza or they couldn't even make a phone call to somebody who was unfamiliar to them because they would get hung up on or they just didn't have those communication skills. So I did some research, MSU had a program, I got in, and the rest is history. And what brought wow. me to the world of brain injury, yeah, <laughs> um, what brought me to the world of brain injury during my graduate coursework, I actually interned at Origami where I work now, and um, learning more about the brain injury population, um, learning about the therapeutic techniques and the different skills that can be impacted as a result of a car accident or a slip and a fall or a bump to the head, um, it was really amazing to me, and I just love all the different people that I can work with, um, people who are in their teens, anywhere, early life, end of life, um, and everybody's so different as far as what's meaningful to them and what they want to return to following their injury, and um, I got hooked, and I have been here ever since, so... <laughs> So we have reality TV to thank for you becoming a speech pathologist. Exactly. <laughs> so MTV isn't all bad things, right? Oh, I love it. That, that's really a cool story. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Um, so today, you know, we're talking about cognitive changes after brain injury. And, you know, so I like to share the story. Like the day after I fell, I had to go to the bank. I went to the ATM. I walked up to it. I had my card out. I knew I had to use my card. I knew I needed it. But I got to the machine, and I didn't know what to do with it. I literally mm -hmm. stood there and kind of stared at it like, okay, I have this card in my hand. I know that I'm supposed to use this card. I know I have to, like, enter my PIN number, you know, but I couldn't get from A to B or from A to C or whatever, you know, I was missing B. Um, and it was so frustrating. I literally, so someone, you know, came and stood behind me in line. So I kind of pretended I did something and walked away. And I just, <laughs> I went up to the teller and, and got cash that way, but the old school way. Um, but I just remember that was like really scary. Um, and then, because you, you don't, after brain injury, you don't necessarily know where your deficits are until you go to do something. So in my case, use the ATM machine or the first time I went to use my camera and didn't know how to change my settings. And, you know, I've been a photographer since I was a kid, you know, so you don't even know sometimes that those are, those, those, those skills have been compromised until you actually go to use them. And, you know, I know the cognitive challenges can range you know, greatly from person to person. And, and as we know, no two brains are the same, no two symptoms are the same, no two recoveries are the same. Um, so I, I don't quite know where you want to start, but let's just kind of jump into our topic um, and right. just kind of cover the realm of cognitive challenges. Right. So you bring up a really good point that 
the awareness piece is something that not everybody has at the very beginning. Um, You know, in your case, you had a slip and a fall and you made it through that day and then you tried going about your normal life and you started (laughs) noticing things are different. Things are harder. And I can't seem to figure out even the routine or familiar tasks. Um, And that's something that will happen to a lot of people where you start going about your business again, but you realize I'm making more errors or I need help with things that I never needed help before. And that's definitely the first piece um, in order to say, hey, I think I need more help than what I've received so far. Um, In some cases, there are folks who have zero awareness for a long time, and it's their family and friends who start saying, you know, we've noticed that something's been different, or we noticed that you need more help, or we're trying to keep the pieces together um, and clean up after you sort of thing. So everybody's a little bit different. Um, But of course, when it comes to starting therapy and making a meaningful change in therapy, we definitely have to have some level of awareness there because if we don't know that anything needs to be improved or changed, we may not be motivated to make that change or recognize that we have to start doing something differently. So that's a huge piece to get started. That's very true. And I want to just take Mm -hmm. a second to talk about that because there's actually a medical name and I never remember it. Um, that mm-hmm. lack of even knowing that you have an injury or deficits. Um, right. And I know that that's really frustrating for caregivers. Um, mm-hmm. They get very frustrated that the, that the survivor doesn't even know, like they think they're fine. Oh, I'm recovered. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. Even right. though like they're limping <laughs> or they're stuttering, you know, they don't, they don't see it. Um, so I mm-hmm. think that's really, um, a really important part for, especially for the caregiver or the loved one or the family, um, you know, how do they, how, how, you know, how do they, not how do they deal with it? How do they help the survivor understand it? You know, like how, how can yes. you help them become aware of their deficit? So it's all in the approach. Um, (laughs) We are all human, right? Nobody wants to say or be approached by someone and say, you're doing this wrong. You know, you certainly do not want to approach the person with a brain injury with a blame of you're doing this or you're doing that or this is wrong or this is different since your injury. Um, You definitely want to perhaps make suggestions and it happens a lot more in the moment. So let's say that the person with the brain injury may be making frequent memory mistakes. Um, The caregiver may be in a better advantage to approach that person and say, hey, I noticed that we missed the mark on this one. Next time, let's try writing it down. Or next time, let's set an alarm to remind us to get done what we intentionally meant to get done. Um, And with that, the person with the brain injury may notice like, hey, you know what, that wasn't so bad, or that made it easier, or I had some success. Um, And that might be a nice way to kind of approach bringing about that awareness, not so much saying, this is what you did wrong, and we need to change it. Um, Instead saying, hey, let's try this instead and see if it goes a little bit better. That might be a better way to approach it, um, not only for caregivers, but also for providers and anybody else interacting with somebody with a brain injury. Yeah, great, great advice. And, you know, it, it's, it's got to be incredibly challenging to be that loved one and, and, you know, not quite know how to tell the person, hey, you know, you're forgetting things or you're not mm-hmm. doing things you're supposed to do. So, yeah, it, it is like this fine 
line that you have to walk. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So like you said, that's kind of that first step that there's people who aren't even mm-hmm. aware that they have their cognitive challenges. Um, and then there's people like me who are aware. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe take that next um, tier. Yeah. So um, once we've talked about awareness and we've established, you know, there's different levels of awareness, but certainly we have to have some in, in order to start making a meaningful change. Um, a lot of my therapy sessions focus on education related to something called the hierarchy of cognitive functions. Um, and this is the rehabilitation model that we use here at Origami and is also applicable to really any um, TBI rehabilitation. Um, And how the hierarchy is organized is we have the most basic skills at the bottom and it kind of moves up as far as more and more advanced when you get to the top of our hierarchy. Um, And the other part about the hierarchy is everything below is going to influence all the skills above it. So for example, at the base, we have neuro fatigue. And this is really our foundation um, to make our first improvements so we can start working towards improvements in those higher level skills such as concentration, memory, executive functions. Um, Neuro fatigue, many people are not aware of this term and there's a lot of doctors out there even who may not be aware of neuro fatigue. Um, So I find that a lot of clients who come here for um, residential outpatient services, they don't hear and learn about this until they're actually in their TBI-focused rehabilitation. Um, And as you probably know, neurofatigue is something that you can't push through it. There isn't a pill to make it better. You really have to learn how to manage it, take those brain breaks, and build them into your day to make sure that you're successful. Mm -hmm. Um, And then moving up from there, we talk about some other more complicated skills. So attention and concentration. Um, When we're well rested, we're able to be more alert and we're able to be more attentive to the things that we need to do. Um, Above that, we have information processing. So when we're well rested and we're alert and attentive, we're able to process information correctly, respond to it, make sense of it. Moving up from there, we have memory. So when all of our ducks are in a row, we're rested, we're able to attend, we're processing information correctly, we're going to be much better at encoding information, storing it, and then retrieving it um, later or retrieving old information that we have stored. Um, And then finally, all of those build into the executive functions, which are at the top of our hierarchy. And those are those really um, higher level skills, such as being able to um, stay organized, able to plan things that you need to do and execute that plan, Um, able to evaluate, did I do well or are there things that I can improve on next time? Um, being flexible, being able to reason. So um, when we explain it such as here's the first level, here's the next level, and so on, you can really see the building blocks um, to make that foundation to have that optimal performance in those skills um, in conjunction with those compensatory strategies that you'll learn and apply for each skill. So, you know, I know for me, I felt like I kind of had shiny object syndrome. Like I could not Mm -hmm. follow a conversation. Like if you were trying to tell me something, I'd follow it for like the first sentence or two. 
And then mm-hmm. I just got bored and I'd look around the room and then I'd come back to the conversation and realized I missed, you know, 15 minutes of it or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I eventually came to understand that it was my processing, my cognitive processing speed was impaired. Therefore, it took a lot longer to process that info. So you're talking to me. You're on your, like, third sentence, and my brain is still processing the first sentence, right? Mm-hmm. So then eventually you kind of lose interest because you can't keep up. And, mm-hmm. and you know, so my point is a lot of people suffer with this, and they may or may not understand what the problem is. I know I didn't for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. But then the to the person that they're dealing with, you know, they think – I know people all the time would accuse me of not trying hard enough or you're just being flaky or, you know, like, so these are people who knew me before, but don't really understand brain injury. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and so you really, you start to not even want to deal with people, you know, when you're treated right. that way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but for those that are listening that are dealing that may or may not be aware that they're having that cognitive processing problem, you know, um, what kind of help is there for that? Um, I know, you know, I've gotten help, um, thankfully, but a lot of people don't know that that can even be resolved. Right. Right. Um, So what are some things that can be done to help people um, improve their cognitive speed? All right. So, yeah, you made me just think of um, something that I hear a lot as a speech therapist working in brain injury. Um, So a lot of the clients that come to me will often say on the very first day, like, why am I in speech therapy? I am talking (laughs) just fine, you know? Right, right. Um, Uh (laughs) And then then we get into our conversation and I start asking them about all of these different cognitive skills, you know, such as are you able to concentrate? Um, How is your response time? How is your memory since your accident? And then they start opening it up, up more about, yeah, this is a lot different or I'm having a lot harder time with this or I'm making a lot of errors with that. Um, So as far as information processing speed goes, um, we always focus on accuracy first, speed second. So, you know, it wouldn't make much sense to run into something and get it done as fast as you can and have a bunch of errors that you have to go back and correct because that's just going to end up taking more time in the long run. Um, So when it comes to a specific skill, such as... um, Let's say I work with a lot of students preparing for class. Um, This is something that we want to set ourselves up for success. So we may start by making a list. Here are all of the things that you need to do to get ready for class. And since your accident, maybe it is taking 30 minutes longer than it used to. We may start by making a list. And we follow that list. Occasionally there are adjustments along the way, but with repetition, um, it will get faster. So it might be something where this particular client may have to do their setup the evening before class, but the more and more they do it and the more effective they get at it, um, the faster they will become, and maybe they can squeeze that into a shorter time like the morning of class. Um, So we'll kind of approach it from that sense. Um, there are other things that we can do, such as compensatory strategies for information processing. Um, that might be 
like taking away visual distractions or auditory distractions in the workplace or at home, especially when having conversations. Um, so that way the brain doesn't have to deal with too much input that's coming in and the person can really focus on the information that's important. So um, a lot of it is compensation, learning new skills that can be applied, and then repetition of those compensations so they become more automatic. You know, and you brought up um, time. And I know, mm-hmm. you know, your example was, you know, it might take them 30 minutes longer to get ready than it used to. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's a really big problem for a lot of people is, and I don't know that it's it always – I don't know that it's always that it takes longer. I think sometimes it's also we have um, almost like a disassociation of time. <laughs> you know, you mm-hmm. think, oh, I have an hour to get ready. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you only have 10 minutes and you haven't even started getting ready. Right? Like right. there's just this, <laughs> this magic vortex that sucks the time out of you, you know? Um, It's like, where did that 15 minutes go? Um, But Mm -hmm. that's the problem I see. I see it in my friends in the brain injury world. I see it in my group. Um, That's a really big problem. Um, This whole not being able to control your time. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have any, you know, tips, tricks for that? How, you know, list making is one thing, but if you think you have an hour, Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden that hour's gone, that list making doesn't really help, <laughs> right? Exactly, yeah. So how, how yes. do we get back this concept of time? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that can be something that a lot of people experience where um, things are different, they have a goal, but it just doesn't quite work out like they intended, and then all of a sudden they have 10 minutes to get ready what they would have done in 50 minutes, like we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. So. Something that I find to be really, really helpful um, are electronic alarms or timers. Um, So we may have our list or our written schedule, but really many people have smartphones on them, and even the non-smartphones will probably have some sort of clock or alarm. I often recommend to clients, if you have things that you want to get done at a certain time, Set an alarm for that time and give that alarm a name. Um, So it might be something such as um, eat breakfast. And then the next Mm -hmm. alarm that goes off on that morning routine will be get dressed and then brush your teeth. Um, And, you know, that's not something that everybody needs as far as those specific steps, but this is um, a strategy that you can really take to any level. If you want it to be individualized and detailed, you can do an alarm for every five to ten minutes of that morning routine. Um, But it can be a really nice way that um, it's going to alert you, you're going to notice it, and then you'll be able to follow through with it. Um, For example, I'm working with a gentleman right now where um, he has a bit of a drive to get into origami. So what we do is we set an alarm for an hour before his first appointment of the day so he knows to leave his house, and then we set calendar alert notifications that pop up 10 minutes before each um, therapy session so he knows what's coming next, and also he doesn't leave us before going to his final therapy of the day. So those two strategies, the alarm with the calendar appointments in conjunction, can be a really nice way to make sure that someone's staying on top of the things that they um, are scheduled for. You know, and that's 
exactly what I had to do. I, in the, in the days following my brain injury, I realized, oh my gosh, my short-term memory, my processing, my concept of time, it was all compromised. <laughs> and, you know, I was self-employed trying to run my own photography studio. I literally had to set an alarm. Okay, I'd wake up in the morning. Okay, I have a session today at noon. Okay. Set my alarm mm-hmm. for 1130, 1145, and 1150 and 1155. Literally, I had to set that many alarms. And my 1130 would go off, and I'd be like, oh, I have a session today. Totally oblivious that I had already known I had a session today. Mm-hmm. 1145. Oh, that's right. I have a session today. I better, like, go put on some clothes. 1150. <laughs> okay. I have a set by now. I'm like, okay, yep. I have a session coming in. I got to get, you know, everything set up, find out the person's name, get everything ready. 1155. Oh my gosh. Okay. They're going to be here in five minutes. Like (laughs) it was like people couldn't grasp that. And I know that that's really hard for someone who hasn't had a brain injury, but it was literally, I mean, just gone that fast out of my brain that I had a session and I mean, I don't even know how I made it through those first 18 months (laughs) of my business. Um, Somehow I managed, but, you know, thank goodness for smartphones. Um, But, you know, it's just so hard to explain to someone who has not dealt with it. You know, they think you're crazy. You're not trying hard enough. Try harder to remember. Yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) Right. And I think that's one of the hardest parts, you know, is (laughs) people are trying when they're recovering from a brain injury. But I think, again, when you can't see that anything's physically wrong, um, people who don't understand have a really hard time connecting that, hey, I'm having a hard time because of this. Um, So, you know, it's different when somebody has a cast or is using a crutch or something like that. You can see that there's visibly um, something wrong, but when it comes to brain injury, it can be really hard to have others understand just how difficult things are right now and things that seem, you know, common knowledge or second nature. It's not quite the same after an injury. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I just, you know, I look back at that and it's like, how did I like even get through that? Like it it just seems so ridiculous now that I'm on the other side of it, but that was my reality every single day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel bad for people who like my girlfriend, she just the other day, she had her um, therapy appointment in her phone. She's like, Oh, I have therapy today at noon. And she was getting ready and the office called and they're like, are you like on your way? And she's like, uh, no, my session's at noon. <laughs> and they're like, no, it was for 1030. And, mm-hmm. you know, like she'd even double and triple checked. Right. But she had put mm-hmm. it in her phone wrong. And, mm-hmm. you know, I feel so bad because people struggle and then not all doctors offices understand. And some people are told they can't come back to that clinic because they've missed two appointments. And, you know, it's just, it's, it just makes my heart hurt, you know, Absolutely. And it makes me so happy to see places like origami. You know, I know you guys even help your patients schedule their other clinic appointments, right? And you help make mm-hmm. sure that they know when they are and that they get them right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just it's just these little things that, mm-hmm. you know, you have 12 little things in a day and that adds up to just like totally overwhelming. <laughs> right. Um, 
And I was going to say, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I often have to tell clients of mine is we are all human, right? Um, We all make mistakes from time to time. Anybody could have put the wrong time into the alarm, even if they double or triple checked it. Um, So it's one of those things I have clients come back after they tried something. If they make a mistake or they miss it, they're very, very upset. But I also say, you know, I don't expect you to be 100% perfect 100% of the time as we're learning these strategies. So if we make a mistake, we have to troubleshoot what went wrong, and then we can make the adjustment and move forward from there. So I think that's Mm -hmm. a really important thing to remind survivors is, you know, not everything's going to be perfect the first time you try it, but keep at it and it will get better. Yes. Yeah. You know, and like I said, those first, first, it was a good 18 months for me um, that Mm -hmm. I struggled every single day. And, you know, I eventually got to cranial sacral therapy and some other therapies and, um, you know, it it did get better. And then, you know, then eventually I found Dr. Schmo and cognitive effects. And, you know, now I feel I'm pretty much on the other side of it. It, it, you know, it took me almost five years to get there, but Mm -hmm. I've gotten there. And I just want to instill that hope in anyone listening that, you know, there are providers out there like Julianne and like Dr. Schmo, you know, who, who get it. And, you know, you have the right to find a new doctor. Um, If your doctor doesn't seem to be serving you, you have that right to go find a new doctor. Um, So I just, you know, I want to instill that hope in people, no matter how far you out from, how far out from your injury you are, there still is hope. Right, Julianne? Absolutely. And um, I really want to echo what you just mentioned as far as, you know, um, be your own advocate. And if you feel like you're not getting the referrals or the service that you need from the providers that you work with, it's okay to seek out more information. Because Amy, I think back to when I saw your presentation last June, you were never referred to a speech therapist. And I kept thinking as you were explaining (laughs) what some of your challenges were, oh my gosh, speech therapy would have done wonders for you, but unfortunately, you really had to navigate this on your own. Certainly, you did have some wonderful providers who focused on brain injury, but I think, you know, in your situation, a speech therapist would have really helped as far as helping you to understand why certain things were the way they were, um, work on remediation exercises to strengthen those skills, um, and also some compensatory strategies to complement what you were working on just to make life easier. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there are professionals out there who can help people with a brain injury get back to the things that they want to do um, on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, and you're so right. I I remember going to my neurologist, um, you know, originally I saw her at like maybe eight or ten weeks in, and she told me to come back in six months if I wasn't feeling better. So, of course, I did, and then she told me to come back again in, in six more months, and I did. And she just kept telling me, oh, just give it more time, give it more time. And I even, mm-hmm. I point blank asked her, you know, are there any therapies I should be doing, PT, OT, cognitive? I mean, those those were the only ones I knew of. I didn't even know mm-hmm. speech, you know, therapy existed. Um, but, mm-hmm. like, she was just, she just kept telling me give it more time. And in hindsight, it's really frustrating because, I mean, how do you get to those therapies? You need a referral to get to those therapies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she wasn't doing that for me. And that was the neurologist, you know, the person you right. think knows the brain. 
And, you know, in hindsight, I really should have pushed harder or brought an advocate with me or, you know, gone to a different doctor. Um, But Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody. And and when you're the person with the brain injury, you're not thinking straight anyway. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So just if if there's a caregiver or loved one listening, you know, go with to those appointments. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very, very helpful. So, Julianne, we are just about out of time. Um, This has just been such a great conversation. Um, Is there anything we did not touch on that you wanted to make sure we talked about? Oh, my goodness. No, not that I can think of. Um, But, yeah, I really want to um, just thank you, Amy, for everything that you're doing. You know, you had mentioned that there's a lot that we are not aware of um, or survivors are not aware of as far as the resources that are available following brain injury. And I think you and your podcast and your group on the internet and just the, the way that you're spreading the word and the awareness about brain injury is so important. Um, and I so hope that people listening today know that there are options out there for rehabilitation, um, whether it's speech therapy or a different discipline, um, Talk to others, um, go on the Internet, do a Google search, and that will help to make known what resources are available in your community. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here, Julianne. I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, everyone at Origami has just been so wonderful. These have just been such great <laughs> podcasts. I, I really appreciate all of you at Origami. And um, thank you for just being here today and sharing all the, these great resources for cognitive challenges. All right. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great day, Julianne. And thank you all for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I think she had just a ton of great information for you guys. And just a reminder that you can find all of our previous podcasts at facesoftbi.com. And also be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zelmer. And another big thank you to our sponsor, Midwest Functional Neurology Center, the concussion doctors you can trust in the Midwest. Find them at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. And I will see you all again next time. Have a great day, everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.